Thanks for coming by. I'm so excited you guys are here. Uh, we're happy to have with us Brian Boucher and Gabrielle Jackson Boucher, recently married. Brian went to law school at Liberty and worked uh, in investigative journalism with The Blaze. And Gabrielle wrote a book, Five Millennial Myths, Handbook for Managing and Motivating Millennials. Uh, your school background, master's in government, public administration at Regent, and a BA in public policy and theology at William Jessup. You've worked with Blomberg Radio, Time Magazine Online, Fast Company. Uh, it's not been long since you've been a graduate, but you started right out of the gates with Millennial Solution. I love what the tagline is, empowering leaders to optimize their millennial talent, but at the same time, equipping millennials to grow in their personal and professional lives. Talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. It's not just a one-sided street. I started my company, The Millennial Solution, after finding that there was a really big need to bridge the generation gap. I had worked in politics here in California. I had worked in nonprofits. I've worked for for-profit sectors. And I always seemed to be the person who was saying, can't we all just get along? I like that. And I saw that there was a huge opportunity because so much of the communication, so much of the frustration, and so much of the really optimization we were missing out on as a as an organization was because we didn't understand who the other generation was that we're working with. Either they're too old, too out of touch, or they're too young and too entitled. And so I really found this niche in what I call generational reconciliation. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. And then you wrote a book about it, Five Millennial Myths, Handbook for Managing and Motivating Millennials. So talk about, talk to that 45 to 65-year-old CEO, they've got that suit on with the tie, and this rumpled shirt person comes in with the earbuds, and the shirt's untucked, and they're trying to figure each other out. What does that 50-plus-year-old CEO need to understand that they have been missing? The first is that age is not a number, it's a mindset. We've met plenty of 20-somethings who are like 65-year-olds and 20-something bodies. There are plenty of 65-year-olds who act more like teenagers. So you can't go forward and just pretend that one person acts or thinks or even operates in a certain mentality because they look that way. Mm. Now, granted, many in my generation, millennials, do come out of the gate with more of a casual approach to work. We don't want to wear suits. We'd rather wear hoodies. We don't want to show up to work at 9 a.m. We'd rather be there by 10.30 a.m. But guess what? We'll work till 7 or 8 at night. Or we'll go get dinner and we'll come back and work till 2. So we have a different approach to work. Every generation wants the same thing at work. We all want to be fulfilled. I've never met anyone who's saying, you know what? I'd really like to work somewhere that I hate. You know, that'd be really great if I could just live somewhere that and work somewhere that really made me miserable. No one wants that. And as Christians, we understand that we're created to work. No matter how old you are, work is a good thing. We're created to do good things and to create um, because we're made in the image of God. So looking at this next generation, understanding that we just think about work differently. We have been raised in a generation where technology makes everything faster. And so we look to technology to solve our problems. If you walk to a millennial down the hall to a millennial and say, hey, can you work on this project? What are they going to do first? They're going to Google it, right? That's the first thing they're going to do. Right. Although the person who maybe invented it works down the hall. So rather than going down the hall and asking a question, they might just look for something up on the internet because we're the first truly digital generation. Hmm. Yeah, we're working at Convene, actually, to get rid of a lot of paper. 
thanks to some of the millennials that work for us, but uh, we're still putting out too much paper for people to circle the answer with a pen and send it in with a postage stamp on an envelope. Not the best. Right. Well, I joke around all the time. As millennials, we think, well, there's got to be an app for that. Anytime that you're complaining about something, there's probably an app for that. Exactly. Exactly. So let's, how about we define millennials? I think everybody might have a different view, but um, I'm, I'm understanding that at the end of 2015, they will or were, I guess they were, the largest generation in the U.S. workforce. That's something important. They're huge. So millennials are born between 1981 and the year 2000. That's according to the U.S. Census Bureau. So there are nearly 83 million millennials in the United States. Wow. We're a huge generation. We're not only the most educated generation in American history, we're also the most diverse. We're a generation that's incredibly tenacious, that is proud of our size, and is really excited about entering the workforce. Mm -hmm. We're also a generation that looks differently and acts differently than the generations before us. Hence, a challenge that we're having now. I mean, for the first time, we're having three and sometimes even four different generations of the workforce. So naturally, there's going to be some of that frustration, kind of that that elbowing out of each other as we're all trying to figure out how we're all going to get along. Hmm. So again, let's speak to that uh, 40 to 60-year-old CEO who, in their mind, they're driving to work thinking of some study they read 10 years ago that said millennials are sort of entitled and they're addicted to technology, they've got earbuds in all the time, they want their next job to be the vice president, but they just started last week. How, what, what are we missing? My favorite conversation is with people who are having that point of frustration saying, what about kids these days? What's wrong with them? Mm-hmm. And I get to work with companies around the, around the world, really, to help them understand who this generation is by understanding how and why this generation is. So we do lots of training. We do lots of these um, personal one-on-one meetings to help CEOs understand it. And through that, understanding that entitlement is ambition misdirected. We're a generation who's been told we can do anything that we want and we can be anything that we want by our parents and our professors and our high school swim coaches. And because of that, we're very confident. We're walking into the workforce saying, hey, give me a shot. I'm ready for the next thing. We have a short attention span and we've got high hopes for the future. Unfortunately, when we're walking into a work world that's pretty static, we are bumping our heads against that ceiling because we're saying, well, what's next? Well, the workforce has been around a lot longer than the millennial generation, and these processes are in place for a reason. Mm -hmm. And so when millennials are coming in and saying, I want to be a part of change, I want to do something, that often comes across as disrespect. Mm -hmm. Our generation isn't wanting to be disrespectful. In fact, millennials have one of the best level, one of the highest levels of respect for our elders in recent generations. However, how we express it is often not the best. Mm. And so what would be an example of um, an intrinsic respect, but an external disrespect? Millennials will come in, and I see it all the time with my clients who are having challenges with hiring the right millennial. For example, a millennial is walking into an interview, and they're saying, okay, so I'd like to work at least one day from home, and you know, I've got a vacation in the next six weeks. I hope that's okay. It was pre-planned with my buddies from college yeah. a couple of months ago. Now, as a CEO, you're saying, 
wow, that's disrespectful. Um, you have to pay your dues in order for me to, you think that just because you started working here, I'm going to let you work from home. Yeah. You can't just take vacation. That's not what we do. That's not what we do. But as a millennial, they have a different idea of work-life balance. They're saying, well, you're disrespecting me saying, I can't spend time with my family and I can't spend time with my friends and I can't have a balanced lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So again, that's where that miscommunication comes. Yeah. Brian, you and I were talking a little bit before we started that there's this whole thing of uh, what is called sometimes tribal storytelling. Let's call it corporate storytelling. Maybe we took the stories of the early days of the company, we put them on the shelf. That was a long time ago when my mom or dad started the company or when three founders in the garage started the company. Nobody cares about that. We just want those millennials to get in their cubicle and get to work. Not such a good strategy. Well, I tell you the truth that it really does matter. Those stories matter. Every great company, every great organization started with some kind of compelling story, whether it was in the garage or at a coffee shop that you got together Mm -hmm. and the idea came to fruition. It's important. Every company started with a great story. And everybody that works for the company is a character within the story. Mm -hmm. It's both a collective sense of moving towards a vision and why we're moving towards that vision. But more than that, it's it's also individual-based. You have so many people that have, that have grown companies, grown organizations, and each of their individual stories matter just as much. And for the organization as a whole, it's a powerful tool. You can surround yourself with all of the great PR companies, all of the great advertising companies, but it really isn't going to matter unless you really know who you are. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, more often than not, that's based in your story, why you do what you do instead of what you do. Of course, you know of that great book, Simon Sinek's Start With Why. It, 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 it's like a sea change. The concept was like a sea change as to how we create a corporate culture, how we think about our visions. It's more than just the products. It's all about why we exist. And I think to take it even farther than just asking the question, start with why, it's what is the story around that why? How can we tell that story in a way that also includes the intrinsic value of our company, what we do for people? How can we tell compelling stories that says also this is what we do, but this is why we do it. This is why our culture is the way it is. And by the way, employee, by the way, customer, here's why you matter in that story. Here's your significance. And here's why ultimately these employees, these customers, ultimately become brand ambassadors of not just a great product, but a great story and a great paradigm shift that a company or organization created. Mm. Wow. I love that phrase, you're a character in the corporate story. Uh, not a character, but an important Oh, there's, character. there's plenty of characters. <laughs> and if you're talking about millennials, there's, there's plenty of characters to go around. But I think sometimes we think that People are, they're not a character in the corporate story. They're just another person to get things done. And that would be a big mistake, would it not? It's a huge mistake. I I think if, even in the context of millennials, uh, Gabrielle can speak to, of course, how long millennials on average will stay at a job, and it changes based upon cities and all that. But there are overall statistics as to why millennials come and go. But if if, if you've got an environment where anybody, not just millennials, anybody across generations feels that they're just a number, 
feels that they're just there to clock in, get a task done, go home, and hope the next day isn't as mediocre as the last day, it is so much more important to ensure that your employees feel that they fit in a part of the story as an individual character that has value that gets the ball down the field better than it ever has in the past, better than the better than even since the founding of a company. Mm. Make sure that your 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 employees that you're cherishing their stories because their individual stories are very much a part of the corporation organization that they work in and they want to talk about it because we talk about work. Mm. We talk about life. Maybe the, 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 the work-life balance and the way we look at it these days is changing and it's shifting, but we always talk about work. Whether we're getting together with friends uh, over dinner or at our homes, we're talking about work. Why not tell those stories better? Why not create more satisfaction in the workplace that, that holds people to the workplace in a really value-creating way? Wow, I love that. I was kind of thinking of the timeline of corporate America recently, you know, those stories we've all heard about our grandparents who worked for the company store for 50 plus years and got the gold watch but they didn't really like it it was just because of a sense of obligation and then came I don't know about your parents but the next generation that kind of started shopping around a little bit but they were still fairly obligated and a lot of them according to studies 80 percent of them didn't actually like their work but now those same people criticize millennials and say almost like saying they like work too much and they're too uh, entitled. So a different way to say entitled might be to say that they actually care, right? right? Because what I see, the millennials that I work with, they actually care. They don't feel entitled. They want to make a difference. And I'm pretty sure the Bible says we're supposed to make a difference in the world, not come to work, punch the clock, go home, whatever. So maybe the last generation had it wrong, and the millennials are finally getting it right in a Judeo-Christian biblical sense. I think this generation is demanding that they have meaning at work. That's really what is so oftentimes misinterpreted as entitled or or uh, selfish or self-centered because we're a generation who's saying, actually, if I'm going to spend 60 hours of my work week doing something, it better well do something to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I think the baby boomer generation really understands this as well. They were a generation that was saying, we're going to change the world. Things are going to be different when we're in charge. And guess what? Baby boomers are in charge. They're in the lead in politics and media and in business and industry and economics. And so they're looking at this next generation, the millennial generation, who, by the way, most millennials are the children of baby boomers, Mm -hmm. noticing that there's a lot of that same desire to change the world. So rather than taking a critical eye to that ambition that mirrors the baby boomer ambition, saying, how do we help this generation navigate these waters and really make a difference? Because Mm -hmm. I believe each generation has a collective destiny. Mm -hmm. That destiny isn't better or worse than the other generations. God teaches us that he's the, uh, the God of generations. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of that, we can see that he builds on the collective destiny of the generation prior. So how are we able to help each other really achieve that which we're called to do both individually and collectively? Hmm. Wow, I love that. Well, you know, you just said something that is uh, one of the hallmarks of one of the speakers coming to the Leadership Summit, where you're also speaking. So excited that you're coming to that. But David Ulrich, in the book, The Why of Work, after 20-plus years of research and study, said that the reason people come to work is they want meaning. 
And I think maybe the older generation thinks that they want a paycheck, but really it's not that way at all. So how about if we talk for a second, something's not going well. Millennial and uh, employer are not getting along too well, not much communication. What would you say would be a good way to have that conversation that would flesh out some of these issues? I think it's important to take a step back and say, why are we not having a good relationship here? Millennials crave feedback in a way that's more constant, that's more personal and authentic than other generations. I often will say to, uh, to business leaders, if you're going to wait for an annual review to give your millennial some feedback, you may not have a millennial to give feedback to. <laughs> We're a generation that is craving instantaneous feedback. But think about it. We live in a world with instant texts, instant tweets, instant likes and shares where everything we put on the Internet has that that uh, shareability factor, and it can go viral in a couple of minutes. So not having instant feedback is is very detrimental for many millennials to feel like, number one, my boss doesn't care about how I'm doing on the job, and number two, I'm not, I don't understand if I need to be doing more of something or less of something. So get that framework for how you're providing feedback. That next step, step is once you're having that feedback conversation, it's to be straight with them. So oftentimes we think, well, I use a cookie analogy, right? There's the, the cookie sandwich. There's like the cookie, then the inside, that's really what you need to improve on, you know, but then the, the cookie on the outside is, you know, but we still really like you. Mm-hmm. The reality is that many millennials will only listen to the cookies and not actually get to the creamy center, <laughs> which is what you really need to be getting on. So be specific, have two to three things that they need to be working on. And then if you want to have a conversation about how great they're doing, have that be after or before for, but try not to mix those in because I know a lot of times we just don't want to offend people, Mm -hmm. but millennials want to do better. We crave that next step. And so by saying, Hey, you know what? You're on the team. We're proud of you. We want you to improve. And that's why we're going to be very specific about ways that you can incrementally improve your performance with Mm -hmm. our company. Sweet. How about some other tips for someone who's the boss who is older and all of a sudden they're in you know, week one with a couple new millennials? The biggest thing I think Brian can talk to is sharing the story, sharing the why of the company as well, and making sure that they feel personally connected as, as someone in the, in the company, Brian. Well, I'll tell you that the first week is the week of first impressions. Mm-hmm. This is the opportunity where you're not only bringing someone on, offering them an opportunity for employment. We were talking about the previous generation and how – Oftentimes they went to work out of a sense of obligation, perhaps out of a sense of duty. But why does work have to be just about obligation, just about duty? Why can't it be about mission, purpose, vision, even nation-changing for that matter? Why can't it be about that? So when you think about the first week, it truly is the week of first impressions, and it's an opportunity to not only tell your, your, your new employees, especially your new millennial employees, what your organization is about and what it does. It's an opportunity to inspire them. Mm-hmm. It's an opportunity to immediately attach them to the mission and vision of the organization. It's an opportunity to put a stake in the ground in that sense that says, here's something that you're tethered to. You're not bound by but you're tethered to it in a good way. Mm-hmm. It's a tethering that says you matter. It's a tethering that says you have a part to play here. It's a tethering that says your work is significant. Your work is a part of this great story that's already been started, 
but you're here to advance the next generation of this company, the next generation of this organization. You're going to take the vision down the field. You see, that's much more inspiring. That's much more, that's much more powerful than a view of the obligation, the view of the kind of the duty-driven work and that we're just here to keep this ball moving down the field. And, and perhaps that's even a mediocre mindset. Let's take it to extraordinary. In that same regard, too, to add on to what Brian's saying, if you are CEO, here's a couple practical things that you can do in that first week. Send your new staff on a scavenger hunt to find the true mission of the organization. Interview key people throughout the company to understand why they started working here. What's their perspective been? That's going to get them to be more comfortable with the culture as a whole. That's going to get them to look at outside uh, individuals and perspectives on their own job. But also, too, it's going to open up the door for mentorship as well. That's so incredibly important. Secondarily, go, uh, go ahead and challenge that employee to write out mission goals that they're going to have. Where do you want to be in six months? Where do you want to be in 12 months? Where do you want to be in 18 months or even five years, 18 years? Mm-hmm. Make them put themselves on a um, on a trajectory. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes people think of feedback as only being on the manager, but turn the tables around and say, where do you want to be? Because they have buy-in as soon as they say, I want to be improving by you know these three metrics and then turn around and say, how do you think you're doing? Give mm-hmm. yourself a grade in six months. So a bit of more of a coach, not a boss. Is that a fair way to say it? Absolutely. Millennials want to have, they want to be coached more than they want to be managed, even more than they want to be mentored. Mm-hmm. So many young people I talk to say they want a mentor, but when you're talking to them, they don't know what mentorship really means. Mm-hmm. They want someone who's going to help them navigate the waters, who's going to give them advice, but really more than anything else, they want someone who's going to come alongside them, not someone who's going to tell them, you know, take a left, take a right. They're going to say, let's do this together. I'm here with you. And your book again is Five Millennial Myths. Where can somebody find out more about you guys if they wanted to hire you, use you, call you, have you speak at their conference? Where would they go? So you can visit our website, which is millennialsolution.com, and that's where you can contact us. We provide training workshops for companies. We provide uh, resources for executive boards as well, and you can also purchase our books and our our workbooks for our programs as well on our website. Sweet. And we're excited you're coming to the Leadership Summit in Rancho Mirage. We are thrilled. It's going to be fantastic. Everyone should be there. I'm kind of excited about the synergy that would happen between David Ulrich and you guys because he's done so much work, a career of thinking about why people come to work. And some of that is almost being proven true in the millennial generation, uh, almost as if it didn't almost need research, right? They're just coming to some of these places of wanting meaning that maybe the older generation has prematurely thrown out and said, meaning we don't need meaning, we just are here out of obligation, and maybe we need to take a lesson, as you say, from each other. I think that we're really seeing almost an evolution of work as well, where we're coming to a point where we're not working to live and we're not living to work, but we're realizing that what we do matters. Well, enjoy your uh, trek up the highway to Sacramento, and uh, though we love Washington, D.C., I bet you're glad you're not there in the snowstorm of the century this Absolutely. weekend. I'm so excited to go dig my car out of a snowbank when I when I get back home. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, fun. It's gonna be might, a great welcome You might home. not find your car. <laughs> yeah, per- perhaps. It could be moved was, by a snowplow. That's my worst nightmare. Why you got to speak to that? <laughs>